I'd like to really just encourage everyone to understand that this is a personal issue that we're going through on a global front. Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Culture Changers, the podcast that brings you unconventional wisdom by uncommon people. Together, we are shattering old paradigms to reshape our world and inviting you to make your own mark. In an effort to support Black Lives Matter, I offered my podcast as a platform to those in the Black and Brown community that wanted to share their story. Aisa Hillebrand, a transformational coach and business leader, raised her hand and said, Allison, I'm ready to talk. Aisa lives in New York City. She is half Black and half Puerto Rican and never quite fitting in anywhere. The recent events strengthening the Black Lives Matter movement has really weighed heavily on her. And she knew she could help and is focused on how can we heal? So we talked about how to connect when everyone doesn't look like you. And also, how do you reach communities where everyone looks the same? Aisa's unique background gave her two cents on the question of, if we've hit the tipping point, which I think we have, now what? So if you're resistant to listening to this and you're thinking, ah, I'm not sure, because it might make you feel a little uncomfortable, that probably means you really need to listen. And so with that, I'll urge you to go to allisonhair.com and sign up for my blog, Sticky Notes. They are quick, thought-provoking guides to help you make your own mark. And we are all about culture change here. So I will also ask you to go to whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, hit subscribe, scroll to the bottom and rate and review it. Your words really help other people find me and always help me shape the future shows. So I will thank you in advance. Now to my chat with Aisa Hillebrand. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. It is, uh, it is Friday. It's June 5th, 2020. Uh, it's important to mention that because we are in the midst of not only a global pandemic, but a racial reckoning and uprising that's going on in our world now with Black Lives Matter and it is Pride Month. It's, it's a whole lot of things right now. 2020 definitely delivered on excitement <laughs> today. Yeah. And I put out a call earlier this week and said everything I was thinking about. I mean, I have a podcast about culture changers. I'm currently on the hiatus with new episodes, but I've been re-releasing old episodes and, and felt like it, anything else felt irrelevant and felt like, um, you know, like read the room, right? And I felt like I am fortunate enough to have a platform where where I can elevate voices that are doing things that matter. And so I put a call out there and and with Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd and everything that's going on around the country, I offered my podcast to share stories of people in the black and brown community, um, of, of what life is like, how can we heal? And my friend Aisa Hillebrand, somebody that I've known for almost 20 years. She lives in New York. She lives in Long Island. I haven't seen her probably in 15, 16, 17 years. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, And now I'm looking at you on Zoom. So um, you raised your hand and said, I'm ready to talk. So I'm glad that you're here. Aisa, please say hello. Introduce yourself. It's great to see you, Allison. It's so good to be able to see your beautiful smile and to have a platform to be able to share a story about healing. And you know, we're at a point in our in our in our own lives in our country um, that we need to have more conversations. Yeah, and, and uh, what I thought was interesting, you know, like people would say, so last Tuesday was Blackout Tuesday, which started from like the music community, but it, it kind of went global where people are putting up black screens. And I was hearing, you know, white people, we can't, your silence is no longer acceptable. Tell me what it felt like for you. So you are half Puerto Rican, half black, right? That's correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. My mother's from Puerto Rico. My father is from 
Trinidad and Tobago and Black American. And that has a whole nother round of questions for me about growing <laughs> up mixed, you know, and never being able to like fit in any box. And and I'm wondering, what did it feel like for you when you saw all of those black screens? For me, it was an opportunity to recalibrate. It was an opportunity to um, recenter, to refocus, and to um, reignite what my purpose was in this process and where where I was going to go. So for me personally, that's the, what it came. It sat for me. That's how it sat for me, and it was soothing in a way to be able to see all my non-black friends on social media in solidarity with that for whatever intention they put on a black screen, right? For whatever it was, I don't know. I think globally the intention was to, it came forth as a purpose to understand that this was something much bigger than what was, you know, another post about a black American being shot by law enforcement or discriminated against. It was much bigger than that. So I'm wondering when you saw all the black squares and you see people, uh, non-white people, non-black people (laughs) talking about racism and and anti-racism and wanting to step back and learn and listen. Did it make you feel supported in a way? Like I saw a whole wide range of emotions from the Black community, some that were were angry and not necessarily at the Black screens, but for whatever reason, you know, it was like, not that way. Get rid of that Mm -hmm. hashtag. Make sure you, people that felt urgent that they needed to share something, some that felt supported and seen and heard, and some that just felt sad where they were crying all day, you know, for so many reasons. What did that look like for you? You know, it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me. Gut wrenching is probably where the middle of that sits for me because it's just so devastating. And I tend to look at a situation and feel so much from it. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but you know, you just, you, you just pick up so much emotion as looking at a video of a person being killed. And did you watch it? I did watch part of it. I did not watch all of it. I, I know this is an awful question, but do, have you watched all of them? There's so freaking many. Many. I have watched them. Yes, I have. Oh. It's just too soon for me to watch the entire thing. Yeah. Um, I, but do you feel like there is a need to? Like I, I have not purposely watched any of them. I could not, I could not even bear it. And even as a company, you know, I work for Salesforce and yesterday we had an eight minute and 45 second moment of silence for George Floyd. And I felt it like, I thought like, oh my God, what if my, what if somebody's knee was on my neck this whole time and I couldn't breathe where I didn't need to see it, but I don't know if I am putting my head in the sand or should I watch it? Like, tell me about your you know, I watched about four and a half minutes of it and I watched the ends of it, meaning like I watched when he was screaming until the time that he was not. And it's very, it's just very sad. You know, I felt that I could put myself there. I can feel it. I felt it. You know, my heart is pounding right now, just even talking about it. It really hurts. It really, really hurts to be able to, you know, just be in a society where we are just now getting around to really educating ourselves about what we can do to help each other. Because it seems like everybody now is on, you know, okay, let's, what do we need to do? What, how can we help? Where is this? Yeah, we get it now. Okay. We can see it. You know, there's part of that that I have. So when I see Back to your question about when I see those black squares and how it kind of, you know, sits for me when other people who are non-black who are watching this, my gut reaction is, okay, great. It's about time. You know, it's, it's good. This is a good time for you and your personal journey to get started, to start education, educating yourself and really start understanding what is it that we're dealing with. I'm an advocate at heart. My background in child development and psychology, I worked in the hospitals for 15 years supporting children and families and really advocating for them. 
And so everybody really has to do their um, their own work in this whole process. But we need to be able to know that advocacy and social justice is a spiritual practice, and we need to we need to work on that. Like this is the time has come. I know that was a loaded answer. <laughs> no, I feel you know, like, I mean, I feel it's like just we're like, at a tipping point. I mean, yeah. the culture is changing yeah. um, in front of our eyes. And, you know, this this kind of response that we've seen outrage before. We've seen outrage in the Black community. We've seen outrage about police brutality and uh, and racism, whether it's police or non-police you know the the judgment even even the woman in central park you know with the dog was was just i mean there're just no words to explain how crazy disgusting disgusting, oh, and, disgusting. And, and and the fact that she felt entitled to say that like she 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 didn't have any qualms about it and if she wouldn't you know if that wasn't recorded we would have we would have known because I, you know i've been in situations where i have he would have been condemned Oh, yeah. If it wasn't recorded. So, you know, we're in a different era right now. And I'm curious to see, you know, we talk about healing and there are peaceful protests all over the nation, all over the world right now. Some are not so peaceful, but I think it's kind of calmed down where it is peaceful. There are strength in numbers here. I think there are changes. I think it is disappointing that it's taken a whole globe of pressure to be able to arrest the men that killed George Floyd, but I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that there is some type of reckoning here. And I'm wondering, what was it like for you growing up half Black, half Puerto Rican in New York? What was it like? Well, what, I have to in say- terms of race. In terms, in of, terms race. of race, yeah. yeah. So I have to say that before I even- was before I even moved into society and noticed, you know, the systematic racism and this discrimination and I felt it at home. How so? Well, because my mother was Puerto Rican and my father was black. And so, yes, the, uh, the, the difference, my mother was, uh, you know, the, um, you know, was a part of the women's movement and was an incredible pioneer in women's rights. And that meant that the old guard of my grandmother's era was, you know, being pushed out. And so she did whatever she wanted to do. She dated whoever she wanted to date it. And she dated a black man. And that for my grandmother was just, I mean, it just was not, she just didn't like it. You know, she was just like, what are you doing? I think that happens across races, right? You just, you know, great grandparents and grandparents want you to marry someone who looks like you and who's from your same culture, so to speak. Both sides of my family loved me dearly. And I was so loved by both sides. But there was a difference. My grandmother... I felt a, a difference in the way, you know, I, my grandmother was in Queens. And so we grew up in Jamaica, Queens. And well, I spent my weekends there, but I was entrenched in a very Latino culture. My first language was Spanish. My parents did not stay together. And so I was raised predominantly on the Puerto Rican side of my family. But I did have contact with my father and my grandfather, my father and my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my aunts and uncles on my father's side of the family. And they loved me. They lived in the same building that I lived in. So I spent lots of time with them. And that culture of the African-American Black culture was instilled in me as well. But it was like two different households, two different ways. And so my grandmother didn't like my hair that was so curly. At the age of seven, I was in the salon getting my hair relaxed at seven. Mm. And um, not my father's family, but when I was with my father in Brooklyn on decal, you know, everybody would be like, you know, you are so light-skinned. And they'd call me high yellow and, you know, hey, lighty or, you know, whatever. So there was, there was this sense of like, where do I fit in? What did that do to you? I mean, did you, were, were they derogatory? Were they teasing? Oh, they, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think they, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak for them. I can just tell you how it's that with me, which yeah. is where, where is it that I fit? What, what do you mean? Like, you don't see me for who I am. Is there something different? Am I, 
I'm too light for the black side of my family. I'm too dark for the Puerto Rican side of my family. My hair is too curly for the Puerto Rican side of the, you know, it's too kinky back then. You know, now curly hair is all, you know, it's all the rage, right? Everybody has curly (laughs) hair, but, you know, you know, X amount of years ago, that wasn't the case. It was like you straightened your hair and you tried to fit in as much as you could. And so there was a lot of stuff that I had to uncover and heal up a lot of stuff around that. So I felt that within my family before I was even put into society, so to speak. And I started realizing that this was really everywhere. And so growing up in, and then I went to private schools and I, in in high school, once again, I didn't fit in, you know? So I, I became an advocate, I think for the young child within me, you know, saying that it's okay. You are good enough. Um, and that you, um, you the, really, the acceptance needs to come with you, within you. What is it that you're doing to accept yourself? And then that projection that I was putting towards other people about how they were thinking about me, how they were perceiving me, what they were looking at, what were they thinking about when they were looking at me, then shifted. But it really just came down to you know myself in my heart, in my spirit. How do I, and cleaning that up and asking myself those questions, where do I sit with it? Dismantling all the stories that were told and put upon me based on either side of my very loved and beautiful mixed family. How did it sit with me and what is it that I needed to do in order to comb through that to figure out, okay, where do, where am I at? And, you know, creating this, you know, this, this first place of, of acceptance for myself, nobody needed to do that for me. I needed to accept who I was in that, in that process, in that, in that space and time. And so every time I'm marginalized or I see other people marginalized or there's a racism that's going on within my own community, within, you know, I'm, I'm like a dog. I mean, I'm just, it's, it, it just comes out. I'm just fierce and I'm just so angry about it. And so this past week, it has been so intense and so gut-wrenching because it's triggered all that. So just when you think something's healed, God is like, yeah, no, there's more healing that needs to happen. <laughs> and so that's why I said, let's talk. Because, um, you know, everybody has their own experience. And as a, a woman that is really focused on supporting others to help them heal and shift and pivot and really look at things differently. It was important that I share my story in that whole process. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting, I'd be curious to get your take on it. So the black screens are going up on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden you you see this really amazing, beautiful um, protest of solidarity, of support, of seeing, of understanding, of including. But then the All Lives Matter people came up. And, you know, then, then there, there were like so many corrections as a white person on Tuesday, like get rid of the Black Lives Matters, hashtags, it's not all lives matter, it is about this particular thing, and, you know, and white privilege, and, and there were so many, you know, that's a privileged thing to say. And there are people in my own family that, you know, like I took offense to the thought of, yeah, a guy died, but you shouldn't be rioting and looting and, you know, burning things and breaking windows, which obviously it's, of course you shouldn't, you know, but it was like the focus was shifted in a way that I wonder, is that an unconscious bias? Is that a form of racism to focus on the wrong thing? It became so political so quickly where it's either one side you're with or you're kind of with, but you got to stop the looting, you know? I I don't know. Like, I wanted to get your perspective on that because it's something I'm trying to figure out myself. Because again, you know, even in my own family and people that I know, to me, it seemed really ignorant. Some of their comments and insensitive and and not necessary, you know? Um, But I could be wrong. So I'd love to be educated. You know, what I think is that we have to always be so polarizing in order to try to get our point across. And we really don't. We can just listen and hear and say, oh, okay, that doesn't serve me. Whatever doesn't serve me is is basically flowing away. (laughs) That's essentially the way that I process information. And so, you um, you know, I have real issues with all lives matter just because of the fact that 
um, we, we are talking about a marginalized community of people that need help, that need support in a way, and that need to be heard. And as soon as you, you know, of course, it's like, you know, I worked in the hospital with sick children, children who were dying of cancer. Do all children matter? Absolutely, they do. But the ones in the hospital right now need this type and this level of support. So let's support them in that way. So that's essentially what it means to me to say. But why are they deflecting? Why is it so important to deflect from the issue? That That's the part I don't understand. From the issue of Black Lives Matter, from yeah, the issue seems- of the race, because there's a certain yeah. accountability that needs to happen when you do that. You have to, you know, as soon as you go ahead and you make it so global, so all about everyone, then you don't really focus on the issues at hand and you can go ahead and um, sweep this under the rug and you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to have conversations. You don't have to ask yourself the question. You don't have to do the eternal work and you don't have to be aware. You don't. You just are like, okay, well. Everybody matters. Let's just all take care of each other and everybody's good. Well, you know what? That hasn't happened. And if that were the case, then we'd have, you know, a systematic change in the way that we are teaching and training and supporting um, those in power and in law enforcement. We'd have a change in how money is directed to our communities. And that that would just be the case if all lives mattered. <laughs> but and it wouldn't matter what your zip code was. You'd be able to go into a great public school wherever you were at. I think there's a lot of um, education that's going on now, like redlining and what that is. I didn't know what that was before. I mean, I guess I heard that it might've happened, but I didn't realize it was a thing. Just just recently, just recently, by the way, and I think it ended the mid fifties. I mean, just recently, like, you know, (laughs) when I have conversations with my mother, you know, she is like, oh yeah, I remember that. Mm. But I wonder with that, where do you feel... So we're at a tipping point, right? It feels like a we tipping are, We have point. tipped. I feel like we tipped. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any way we can go back to the way it was, but how do we keep the momentum going? What is important to you? What do you think we should do? For me, the most important thing is to continue to have the conversation. And so I have, you know, this, this whole week has been, okay, what do I do? What do I do? I've signed the petitions, I haven't even signed them. I wrote an email online. <laughs> I didn't sign anything. Um, I went, I donated. Now what do I do? What do I do? And the question was so heavy in, on my heart of just figuring out where do I fit in? What is my job in this? I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And it just really, it was a call of action from God, just like, all right, now's your time. This is your voice. You've been saying you have a voice. You have something to say. You're an advocate. All right, let's see. Let's go ahead and let's move forward in that. For me, the next step is having the conversation, continuing the conversation, because we need to get from behind of, of a screen, of a, a phone to talk. We have to have face-to-face conversations. And that really needs to happen. It's not about always listening. It's about conversing. It's about talking. It's about sharing. And that allows stuff to come up. And if we don't have those conversations and we only have them in our head, then there's no change. There's, you know, the change is not going to happen that way. So let me throw a scenario at you. Uh, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think about this a lot. So I live in in Atlanta proper. I live in the city. It's a very mixed community. I don't know that I understood racism or, or saw it like I saw it when I moved to Atlanta. I think we live in a world that's coexisting now. And I live in a gentrified area that has both, has multicultural. You live in New York. You live in New York that is very multicultural. But there are places throughout the nation that are very homogenous and they don't really have access or exposure to people that don't look like them. And the people that don't look like them are the people they see on the news that are getting arrested. Right. And that's the the news that they're getting. And I remember when, I don't know if it was Trayvon Martin or somebody, was, it was one of the deaths. And I remember a church service and people were talking about how amazing this church service was about racism. 
And it was a, a black cop who had come on and he talked about what to do. And, and the answer was like, love everybody. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, you know, if you live in a, a sheltered, I don't know, suburban neighborhood or a, a rural neighborhood and you see a black person at the grocery store, you see one person, you smile at them. Is that enough? Like if there's no exposure, how do you, I, I think it really is cultural. I think that TV and media has done a great job. We're seeing far more people of the Indian culture and Asian culture yeah. and Black and Latin, and they're getting so much notoriety. So it's becoming normalized, at least on our screens. I think that art is where it really, really makes an impact and a difference. Music. And that's good. But but in the communities where there aren't a lot of mixed, how do we get to people like that? So I grew up in Harlem. And I was in a very diverse, obviously, community. And then I moved out to Long Island. And I'm in a community right now that is not diverse. And so here I am, seven years, thinking, where do I fit in? What do I do? How do I connect? Well, the conversation about race need to happen wherever we are. And the way that we do that is that we connect via Zoom. We connect for you know those people that we don't know. So it's more about looking at a situation and figuring out, okay, what do I need to educate myself on? Where, how do I need to be integrated into the community? How can I be integrated into the community? So social media and Instagram, for example, and all these influencers, there's this whole big, and, and the reason that I saw it and noticed it because I follow a few moms and they were like, okay, so I've been told that I cannot be silent. I have to say something. So I'm going to say this. And then she would say it. And then she'd be like, okay, I, I was just told that that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> I'm not quite too sure. So at least they're trying, you know, you're, you're, you know, they're trying, they're trying to figure out, you know, I follow moms that are mixed. I follow moms that are white. I follow moms that are black. And so, you know, people have different interests and food interests and so forth and so on. So there's there's all this kind of like tiptoeing around the fact of, you know, how do we connect? But, mm. you know, to be able to have a conversation with someone and to ask the questions, okay, so can you help me understand how can I get more involved? Can you support me? Not on a global level, not on a social media level. I mean, you can connect with people that way, but look within your community and really see there are people there that are making change and doing something and have a conversation. So we're all the time behind the screens. We're listening and we're watching so much that we're not really conversing and saying and asking the tough questions. You know, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? Can you show me what this means? Tell me why you're upset about this. Can you give me more information where I can get myself educated on? Because a lot of it has to do with the lack of education that uh, people have. People just don't have, they're, they're not, it's just like, I don't, you know, out of sight, out of mind, um, particularly, you know, in areas where there's not much diversity. Um, you see stuff on news, you automatically, you know, say, oh, well, that's so sad for them. Oh my gosh. Move on with your life, do the things that you want to do in your life and live, you know, and continue to move forward and, and live well, so to speak, and just do for you and yours. Well, guess what? That's no longer happening. We have, as you said, a reckoning that's happening. There is no going back at this point. There's a change. It's happening. It's going, it's, you know, it's going across race lines in, in so many communities. And those who aren't unwilling to change really don't have a choice at this point. So you have to get educated. You have to put yourself out there. And with that, I believe it comes back to this sense, you know, this feeling of shame and guilt that people are trying to avoid because of our history. There's no more avoiding it. You're going to have to sit with it. You're going to have to feel it. You're going to have to ask the stories, ask about the stories in your past and from your ancestors and your, you know, your elders, so to speak. You're going to have to ask those questions and see where is it and how you fit into it, into what it is that's going on now, and then release it and let it go. And now figure out, okay, now what are my next steps? How can I go ahead and you know, create change and spark change. And so I've decided to, during this past week of figuring out how to, I was going to have those conversations. So I have a, 
a, a huge array, obviously, of diversity on, on my pages and in social media. And it was really about now what? In this abyss that's going on, I feel like I was, I'm, you know, I scuba dive. And so there's times that you, you know, you scuba dive. We went in Cozumel and there's this wall, the Santa Rosa wall. And it, it's like a cliff in the water. And so you, you kind of like scuba dive over it. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're just like, holy crap. I'm like over this entire vastness. And if I don't go ahead and focus on where I'm going, it just, it's like a pull. It'll just pull you down. And before you know it, you've run out of air and now you're gone. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so dramatic, but that's essentially what the analogy that comes up in my head about where I have been at this abyss of like, okay, I can't let this time pass me by. I have to be able to figure out how I'm going to ignite change within my own community. And that's why I decided to create conversations, small, intimate conversations with whoever wanted to join about really talking about what is at the core of these issues within ourselves. Because we're seeing it on a very macro level, but really, it really starts with us. So healing talks, conversations of hope and race happening once a week. I um, love this idea. And by the way, I think you should call it Now What? Now what? That's a really yeah. great name. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because it's just like, okay, now what do I do? Like right. I said, you're not. are you going to go protest? How are you going to protest? How are you going to change? What are you going to mm. do? You know, so it really involves this whole connection of not being, you know, not allowing yourself to move into that a place of abyss. Before you know it, you're way down under and you don't, you're running out of air on your tank and your scuba tank and you got to get back to the surface. What are you doing now? You have to get yourself out of this and really say, okay, how am I going to take all this energy and these feelings and these emotions and put them into work? And so conversations that happen just like this, so that's why when, you know, we decided to have you and I to talk, it was really important for me to see you because there's a level of connection that happens. Um, and even though we can't physically be together, it's important to be able to see one another. And we're not doing that. You know, we're at two o'clock in the morning scrolling through our Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> we're listening and then we get all riled up and then we have these emotions and then we don't know what to do with them. And then we, you know, keep them inside. You're not talking to anybody about it. You're not connecting to someone. And then all of a sudden you go through your day and now you're here in the same exact place saying, what did I do? What did I do to change? How did I go ahead and create change within myself so then I can then, you know, share that with others. And then those conversations, those openers in these talks that I'm hosting are really asking yourself these questions, dismantling your own generational stuff that's been told to you and imprinted on you, this awareness that you have to create and develop for yourself and then doing your own work. What is your own internal work? Why does this bother you so much? Why are, you know, where are these feelings? What's your story that you can connect to shame and someone kneeling on your neck? What triggers that in you? And then looking at those situations from, you know, from the time you were a child up until adult and now dismantling them, looking at them and then releasing it. How are we going to create another generation of, you know, children that don't have this issue? I mean, this is like, this is a big deal. I had a conversation with my son. How old is your son? So I have twins and they are six, a boy and a girl. And so I said to him, um, so he has vertiligo on his arm, which means that part of his arm is white and the other part is brown. Perfect segue <laughs> to the conversation right. of skin color. So I said, you know, I would always ask him, you know, he goes, when is this going to go away? And I knew, you know, after he would come home from school, he would say to me, why is this on my arm? You know, when is it going to go away? And as best as I could describe what it was that was going on, which was basically that the melatonin in his skin was, you know, in certain parts just wasn't, it was autoimmune, whatever. You know, I, I don't remember the exact words I said, but it was just your skin. You know, does it change who you are? He says, no. Okay, perfect. So mama's going to put some cream on it. You'll be good to go. The conversation came up just recently. And I said to him, so what do you think about, what is it that you think about the color of your skin? And has anybody mentioned that to you? And he said, yes, I had a little boy who said, I don't want to play with you. Your skin is too dark. Mm. And I thought, hmm. And so I'm trying to control my face. <laughs> yeah, that's where it really hurts. Like it's one it's thing to deal like, with yeah. it yourself, but for your kids, right? And you see the generational systemic racism that's unfolding right. on your children who no kids are born racist, you know? Um, 
That's right. Wow. So what was that like? How did you handle that? I wasn't shocked, unfortunately. We are probably, we are the diversity in the community. Do you feel marginalized? I do not feel marginalized. And that has changed. In the beginning, I did. And then I did my own work. And I don't feel marginalized anymore. Because it all has to do with my own power and, and where it sits with me and my perception of it. So I, you know, this projection that I had of what I thought other people were thinking about me really was the biggest issue. <laughs> One of the biggest issues. I'm thinking about what I think other people are thinking about me, right? But there are also situations, and when I mean my community, I mean the people that I connect to and, you know, work with and absolutely adore and have great relationships with. Now, when I go out into this community in other places where people don't know who I am and just kind of make assumptions based on the way that I look, the answer would be yes. Mm. I do feel marginalized. So what I know for that to be true is that there's a connection when people know who you are. There's a different relation that happens when they know who you are. So that's why you can hear, you know, someone say, well, I have a black friend and I love black people. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? It must be so annoying to hear. Like they're trying to prove they're cool with the black people, you know? Well, also it's this sense that I, you know, it's, it's, you know, when, when it comes down to the color of your skin, right? Yeah. So do I feel that people look at me who know me in that way and that really know who I am and what I stand for and my, my strengths and, you know, who I am as a person? Do I feel that way? No. But for people who don't know me and just are looking at me from the outside, absolutely. Do you feel like you have to, I mean, you went to private school. Not everybody has that luxury and have a multicultural background. Do you feel Like you are very quick to prove that you are good. Someone said to me, you speak so well. Mm. That's a perfect example of what it is that I face on a, you know, just part of it. It's not, it's not the whole picture. You speak so well. You're so, you actually, the words were, you're so well-spoken. You know what I mean? That is as opposed to as opposed to yeah as opposed to right exactly right right yeah. so but i wonder do you feel like you have to go out of your way to prove that you are i don't right, know good enough right that, i don't know if it's good is the right word and i'm right i know what you're super saying. offensive who knows but like you're safe you're right. safe and and do you have to put like even as a woman like women have to work harder to, in general, they're more productive. They're more, um, they they work harder. They put in more hours, generally speaking. If it's in a corporate setting, typically they are more organized. They're, you know, they're trying to prove that they are as good as their male counterparts. And that's kind of baked into our culture. If you are um, in in the Black community, do you feel like you have to prove it? I do. Um, On a very fundamental very baseline level that I wasn't even aware of. And a basic example of that would be that I would always say, my girlfriend, Myra, brought this to my attention. She was like, why are you fixing your hair? Like, why are you making your hair? You know, why don't you just like, you know, I'd I'd go into a situation and I'd be like, okay, let me just, you know, just make sure it's not too big. It's not too big. It's not too curly. Mm. It's not too, you know what I'm saying? And so it was always about the perception of how people would perceive me because the way they perceived me would be the way that they would treat me. And so they perceived me to be well-spoken, well-dressed. Really, that's it. (laughs) That's what they would see. They would see the color of my skin, my hair, and how I spoke and make an assumption based on that. And so it was always about putting my best foot forward. It was always about making sure that I was that baked into you? Did somebody tell you it's important to look well, to speak well? Did somebody impress on you? Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. My family was, I come from a family of educators here in New York City, you know, instituting change within the Board of Education in New York. And my grandmother came here from Puerto Rico and 
one of the reasons why she was so adamant, she was, it was so important for her that I wasn't discriminated against because of the way that I looked. And so she did, in her eyes, I believe, I can't speak for her, but I'm assuming that her intention was to make sure that I had the very best. And because I was different, she wanted me to fit in as much as I could. Mm. I wonder how you feel about that now. Do you feel like it's important to fit in or do you feel like it's important to stand out? No, you have to, you have to be who you are. Mm. And if it, and you have to be who you are. There's just no other way. You will come to that realization sooner or later. <laughs> Meaning like you will have to be who you are at some point in your life, you know, and it will either come with grace and ease or it will not. And I feel like as a country, we are coming into who we really are now. And it's not with much grace or ease. And no. so I, I, I really, the lesson will need to be learned. We, will, we are learning a lesson. We are all in this and we have to clean it up. We have to work through it. And it all starts with each individual person. And so it, when we're on social media and when, and we're posting and we're, you know, connecting with people that way, that's so great. But then we need to go ahead and say, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk. It needs to go back around the table. You know, we need to be able to have respectful, loving, safe conversations with each other. And if we don't, we're going to miss the boat on this. And we're going to be back here again because it's, it's not going anywhere, unfortunately. And so the, here, here we are. And so I'm very optimistic and hopeful. At the same time, I'm terrified and very angry. And, you know, all those emotions are um, what need to, you know, come up and release and then go ahead and help others to do the same. There's so much anger in the community, in both, in, in, in all communities, obviously. <laughs> there are people who are, you know, fighting in almost every part of the world at this point. They're protesting every single part of the world. George Floyd is what he represents is so much bigger than what we saw on that video. I mean, that is, you know, that's being expanded hundreds and hundreds of times. So we obviously know as a people, we have some stuff we need to work on. And so the question is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that together? And I, apart from protesting and donating and um, education, you, we need to talk. Nobody's talking anymore. I mean, you go to restaurants and you see everybody with their phone, you know, families of four or five and they're on their phone. Nobody's really talking anymore as much as we used to. So, you know, let's get back to that. Let's get back to the conversations and, you know, the arguments. People would argue. <laughs> now we're arguing over text messages and, you know, social media. Like It's true. There are family you know? members that I'm avoiding right now. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. On purpose. Yeah, and because then, I'm trying to figure out how do I not lose my shit? Right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, when you... And when I'm, you, for me, I'm part of the problem, if that's the case. Like, it's so it's so heated for me. And as heated as it is for me, it is for them too. Right. And, and that's where I'm trying to find a, a good middle ground for conversation. And I think you're doing a great thing of setting up respectful ways for people to communicate and ask the tough questions and have a better understanding of it. And one thing I wanted to ask you, because what I've noticed throughout this whole conversation is a recurring theme with you and is your need to fit in in some way and your sense of belonging. And what I've noticed about you and what I know about you is that I'm assuming, and I'm, I may be completely wrong, but I'm, I'm putting this on you. So I'm, I'm imagining my armchair psychologist is that that is why you create communities because that is how you feel of how do you feel? How do you make people belong by understanding, by bringing them together? And that's what you do. Yeah. And so this last year for me has been huge insights about what it means to belong, what it means to have community, how can I establish that, and um, how do I fit in? And so 
your question prior was about do I do I feel that you know people should fit in or should they be who they are or something along those lines stand where out stand yeah. out yeah and so you know it, it's important to understand that for me standing out means being who you are and so that wasn't the connection that really wasn't what was taught to me no, yeah so. and as we round out this conversation I wanted to know, what do you know that you wish other people could know? That there's, that you can heal, that there is an opportunity given to you to be able to go through whatever it is that you think that you don't want to go through, you don't want to look like, and you can come out from that better. You can heal from whatever it is that you think is going to break you. So whatever it is that you feel like I can't think about, I can't go through, I can't ask, I can't be embarrassed, I can't be shamed about, you can. And you will come out stronger and you can come out healed from that. But you have to go through it. Like there's no more avoiding it. You get, we are all going to have to do our part in cleaning our own junk and our own stuff up in order to now move forward and have collectively a community of people that are going to support our future generation. We have to do, all do the work. There's, there's no way around it. You can't, you know, move through this anymore. We have to institute, you know, changes that are going to be um, important for our, our future. We're going to have to have tough conversations and it starts here so that when you do get a job in a place of power and position that you can go ahead and constitute some change that you already have the tools because you've done your work. You know, most of the issues that we're having is because we're seeing the seven and eight-year-olds running around with a uniform on or in positions of power, and they're operating from a place of hurt. They're operating from places that they have not been healed from, and it just shows. It, it comes out that it just, it just shows itself. You can just see it. This sense of, I haven't done what I'm, I need to do in order to be productive, helpful, loving, caring, and in this community, in this environment, in, in, in the role that I've been given. I haven't done the work to clean it up. And so when put under pressure or there's a situation or there's a camera on you, or you think that nobody can touch me, I have this power, then you see who you are. You see people for who they are. And that's the one thing. The people that you are, we are so upset about, they are showing exactly who they are. Mm. You can see who people are at this point in time because it's coming up. Something you said earlier um, has stuck with me about the changing of the guard. And that was for your generation, your, your grandparents' generation, your mother or your parents and you. Now there is another changing of the guard truly. And I think it's important for us to, I, I personally believe that the easy way is the hard way and the hard way is the easy way. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we are in the hard part right now. And, uh, and it's important to move through it with grace and with your eyes open and not bury your head in the sand. At least that's how I feel about it. But before we go, are there any parting thoughts, anything else you'd like to share? I'd like to really just encourage everyone to understand that this is a personal issue that we're going through on a global front. These are things that are coming up for us because we need to go ahead and, and make some big, huge changes. And unfortunately, we are being marginalized. And the tipping point is an understatement. It's just, it's really the time, time is up. You know, the change is happening. And so if that bothers you, that change bothers you, and that's something that really disturbs you, then go deeper. Instead of going outward and trying to figure out why, why, why outside, go inside and figure out why am I having such a hard time with this? You know, connect to people that are going to help you ask the, yourself the right questions. What questions are you asking yourself? Why am I being triggered by this? Where is this coming from? Help me understand for yourself first before you go outwards and ask other people about their stuff. Keep it 
really within you, have conversations. People are not having enough conversations within their own families, just connecting with yourself and realize that social justice is not political and it's all spiritual. This is spiritual work that's going on because you're dealing with yourself. And so we have to do that work. We have to dig deeper and we have to go deeper and figure out what we need to do for ourselves first and then our communities to move forward in a place of peace So you can't, you know, when you're all twisted about stuff and stuff is coming up for you and you're angry and you don't know why and you're not asking yourself the right questions and you just keep on numbing yourself and doing stuff that is not bringing you closer to who you are as a person. You're not sitting, you're not meditating, praying, whatever your spiritual practice is, then you go outside into the community and all that, all that just spills out. And then you just, you know, it's a ripple effect. And so now you've just, instead of sharing peace, you've shared all this upset and this this stuff that really shouldn't. So get back to your whole sense of align yourself within yourself first before you go and seek outward this this feeling of peace. You can't find that if you're not all, if you're not centered with who you are as a person and that your spiritual practice is going to be important in this whole peace and justice and where we sit with that. And what can we do right now for you to be able to help yourself move forward? So seek out support, seek out those who are unlike you or not like you in a way that you can ask questions. Social media is a great platform because, you know, everybody's open to that. Reach out to me. You can DM anybody. You can connect with people all the time. So go and ask the questions. Find someone who can support you on this journey and move forward from there because we need that support. This is the time to heal it up and to work on what is it that's going on with you before we can go ahead and fix anything outside. Powerful, Aisa. I love it. My favorite part of that whole thing is that it is a personal issue on a global front. Yeah. That's really powerful. So how can people find you? How can people get involved uh, with your conversations that you're facilitating? Sure. So I have a website. It's my whole name, AisaHillabrand.com. And the sessions are free. They're conversations so that you can take back to your community and to your corner of the world. And it gives you the ability to be able to get resources for children from my background in child development and also resources to be able to heal you, you know, to ask yourself the right questions and to facilitate conversations within your neck of the woods. And they're approximately 45 minutes. So you can go to my website and check me out there and follow me on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you, Aisa. This was great. Thank you. It was so You've got a message of hope and healing. Yes. They're called Healing Talks, Conversations of Hope and Race. I love it. Thank you. Thanks, Aisa. Thank you, Aisa Hillebrand. I've linked all of her info in the show notes. I highly recommend you sign up for her healing conversations about race and keep the momentum going. You are part of the change. Every single person is, so make yours count. As for me, I'll be coming back soon with new episodes. You probably noticed the new podcast name, the new cover art and logo, and some more timely blog posts and social media posts that are always helping guide you as you figure out, as we figure out how to change culture together. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go to allisonhair.com and sign up for my thought-provoking emails. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.